Welcome to Vida Abundantur. I'm your host, Tanya Azar, researcher, writer, wife, cat mom, and university instructor. On this podcast, I conduct interviews to explore how we can abandon a scarcity mindset so that we can live a life of abundance. Welcome back, listeners. Today, I'm speaking with Kristen Wright. Kristen is the inaugural director of civic engagement at George Mason University. Kristen has long been passionate about engaging students and faculty in service learning and has focused her research on the barriers that both populations face to participating in community-engaged teaching and learning. Let me tell you, her job is a lot, and yet she also loves hiking with her husband and dogs, visiting local breweries, wineries, and coffee shops, cheering for the Buffalo Bills, listening to crime, thriller, mystery podcasts, and she has recently developed an enthusiasm for disc golf. To me, she is a force of nature, and I'm happy to call her a colleague and friend. Thanks for joining me today, Kristen. Thank you for having me, Tanya, and for such a wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) Um, So I start off every episode with the same question, which is um, to ask you what you think of when you hear the word abundance. You know, how do you picture um, abundance functioning as a concept? And then following that up with sort of how you see yourself as living an abundant life. Yeah. So it's so really funny when, um, when you mentioned that you would, you know, ask me to think a little bit about abundance and, um, what it means to me, I, um, well, let me back up by saying in any kind of like personality test that you take, if it's Myers-Briggs or the various like color tests, right. That tell you a little bit about you and how you, um, you think and collaborate and that sort of thing. I always straddle this like 50, 50 analytical with the analytical logical, logical with like the deep thinking, feeling empathetic, strategic that sometimes feel like they're at odds with one another. So of course, when I was trying to start reflecting on um, what abundance meant to me and how I might describe it, um, my, my first response was to dive right into the logical analytical. And I was like, I should look up what the word means. Um, like, I think I know what abundance means, right? But like, I should look up the what the word means. And um, I often joke that I'm someone who would like think my feelings before I feel my feelings. So I was like, I need to start in that space. Um, so I truly did go to the dictionary and look up the definition of abundance. And that actually got me into a really interesting spot in thinking about what abundance, how I think about abundance and what it means to me. Um, because the dictionary, of course, very plainly starts with, you know, a very large quantity of something, or I think one of the other, um, characterizations is like to have more than you need of a thing. Um, but in thinking that through, I was like, you know, I don't know that that's how I think about it. And I'm curious if there's a space of kind of a more spiritual counseling therapy based um, way of thinking about abundance that might characterize that a little bit differently. Right. Um, and so, of course, there was. And that was much more aligned with what I was thinking. But it was talking about an appreciation of life and its fullness. Um, one definition that really stood out to me in kind of the more spiritual um, counseling related space is the belief that there's plenty of everything um, for everybody in the world, right? So compared with this very logical definition of actually having um, more than you need, contrasting that with the belief that there is more than enough to go around and there's more than you need and you're grateful for everything that you have. Um, and I thought that difference was so, so interesting and helped me get to what I think about a definition of abundance because um, 
the initial dictionary definition, right, is this very like capitalistic um, sense that in some ways feels at odds with the spiritual belief, the difference between having the thing and believing that you can have the thing. Um, and I think it's easy to put them against each other. Like if you don't have enough in the space of your basic needs, right, then you're often taught or encouraged to really lean into the belief that you and appreciation of what you do have. Um, or if you lose something or right, or fear losing something, um, you kind of get into the same space of like really having holding on to that belief and not the practical. Um, so I think, so that whole long way of how I got from the thinking to the feeling and everything in between was that I think to me, abundance is, is that belief that there is enough, right? And being grateful for the things that you have. But I think um, that belief, the mindset, the lifestyle, whatever it is, should be coupled with actively living in a way that you try to help others live a more abundant life, whether it's through breaking down barriers to, to more of the physical or practical abundance, like actually folks having the things that they need um, in place so that you can think about the more spiritual ways of abundance. Um, so yeah, both trying to live with that appreciation, but also actively trying to live in ways that create um, abundance for others, I think is how I how I would best describe what it means to me. I'm, I just love that you started out by looking up the dictionary <laughs> definition because that is like, you are a woman after my own heart. <laughs> well, I also feel like with all the Wordle I've been playing recently, I, d I had to dive into this like etymology, where does the word come from kind of space too? Cause I've just been like uh, very curious about that, but it really also was like, what does it mean? Yes. Um, that's, I love that because you wouldn't believe how long I spent just puzzling over the Latin variations of Vita Abundantior, um, like living a life abundant, living life more abundant, and just sort of trying to parse like the various meanings. But um, I, you know, you're the one, I think my first guest who really brought up, um, you know, creating space for abundance for others. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I love that because it's, it's so you, first of all, um, but also just thinking about, how if we are, I think, I think if we are living abundant lives, um, you know, what, what is more abundant than helping others to abundance, right? Yeah. If yeah. we can. And it's that, it's that bridge, I think, between the definitions too, right? Of like, of the idea of, of a mindset and like, practically speaking, really having the things that you need in place. And the definition actually says more than, right? But I think so we have the majority of folks globally, locally, don't, don't even actually have everything they need, let alone beyond that. And so I think it's hard to hold this idea that you just believe there's enough for everyone when you can really realistically see every day um, that in that, again, practical definition, there is not enough for everybody. And it's a lot easier to lean into the sort of um, attitudinal elements of abundance when you do have, have that basic needs space um, met. Absolutely. Um, it reminds me of this of this book I read last. Actually, it was probably in the first year of the pandemic. But a tree grows in Brooklyn. I know I'm not. I'm like not the first person to discover that book. It's been <laughs> around for a really long time. But um, you know, they have so little, and there's these like little moments though that they're able to find um, abundance in in time in like these small little pleasures, or even just being able to waste something. Yeah. was like this huge act of abundance for some, for a family that, you know, had so little they were working with, like being able to pour coffee down the drain that you weren't going to drink was like this yeah, huge yeah. act. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, I'd like to know, you know, based on just 
everything I know about you, but all the things I don't, you know, how do you see yourself living a life more abundant? Yeah. So, so I, in thinking about this, what's really interesting is like, I think of that question and the first thing I have to do is pause and kind of go through that reflective space of like, like, I know that I do often live a life of abundance, right? But do I in the, and I'm probably in this sense, speaking mostly about this, you know, spiritual, more spiritual related definition, but like really sort of, um, I don't know, self-analyzing, reflecting on how often I do live in a way that I feel like is aligned with that sense of, again, that belief, um, grateful for the things you have, appreciation of life and its fullness, um, and how much that's changed in the last couple of years because of COVID and how I would define that has changed dramatically in the last couple of years before that. I think about, you know, being someone who's lived in the greater DC region for a number of years and so much prior to COVID and and probably prior to meeting my husband when I was like a young single working professional, so much of that question would have been wrapped up into my job and my career and how that helped me define kind of purpose and purpose for me being something that I think contributes to living an abundant life and feeling like there's this greater thing that I'm um, I'm trying to leave a legacy about, right? Or I'm trying to contribute to. Um, but the, in the last few years, again, I think it started with meeting my now husband and kind of forming that like family of your own. But then I think COVID was a huge contributor to this too, is, is I think balance became something that was way more important to me and how I think about how I would live a life more abundant. Um, And I think it goes back to what I was talking about before about the idea of finding abundance is also trying to make others' lives more abundant, whether that's through your profession, that that's a way that you do that, whether that's through your relationships, right. By really trying to be that, um, the laughter, the brightness that comes, or sometimes you can't be, but like trying to be that, whether it's your contributions to nature um, and thinking of, you know, the space around you as a way that you can contribute to more abundance. Um, And for me, it's a little bit of all of those things. But I think I do often come back to this word of balance as I think about that. I think that's something that um, I used to be really, really focused career and was, you know, it was the ridiculous hours and it was the travel and it was all of the things I had to do to move forward in that space. And I, and that would have been so much how I would, I would have defined it. And now it's really having a profession that does allow me to feel like I am contributing in kind of an activist way to breaking down barriers to folks living an abundant life. And I think that's actually thinking about abundance is a really great word of describing what a lot of, you know, activism work is. It's around removing those structural barriers to folks being able to, um, live their fullest lives, right? For whatever the the isms are that are preventing them from doing that right now. Um, So I think that's an element of it. I think spending time in nature for me is an element of living that abundant life. And really um, nature, I think is one of those things that's easiest to find a moment of awe in, in life. Like you can go and see a beautiful space that really like gets your breath, that moment of, of just awe and wonder. I think nature is such a healing way of doing that. Um, we joke in our house a lot of times about the idea of like forest bathing is a great way of just finding a spot to sit in the forest is what we mean by forest bathing. Um, for those who haven't heard that term, but like it just finding a spot to sit right and like take in the nature that's around you. Um, so that's really important. My dogs and my husband are huge ways, but the dogs particularly, I think their attitude and looking at life through their lens is a way of they, I mean, who lives a more abundant life probably than a, a happy dog um, <laughs> or cat if you're a cat person, right? But like who really is able to kind of lean into all of that is. Um, and then and then I think one of the other things that comes to mind when I think about that is trying to be somebody who 
um, maintains perspective. And I, I think I like that word. I often am critical of like, if I've picked the word that really describes what I'm, what I'm trying to say or not, but I think that perspective, the place of really is a place of appreciating what you have, but also being able to like situate and contextualize things you're going through that aren't great or aren't what you wanted. It's not that like um, comparison we get into of like, who's got it worse fighting. Cause that's not productive for anyone trying to live abundance. But I think perspective is that way of, of again, just like situating the moment that you're in um, and trying to not let whatever it is, how hard it is, how long it's going to take you to get over that hard thing or to get through that hard thing. Um, to me, perspective is the thing that allows you to just like keep some, um, I don't know, keep some clarity, keep some purpose, keep some feeling of abundance through those difficult things. So I think it's, again, balancing all of those things, like having a having some career that really does fulfill that um, activist desire, having a lot of time in nature for me, um, having time with the like beating hearts and both human and animal that bring me joy and trying to keep perspective. I'm not always great at it, but trying really hard um, to keep that perspective to situate um, the good and the bad. Kristen, I can totally um, sympathize with you saying how you would have answered this question differently <laughs> in your 20s, perhaps, um, because balance, you know, to me seems like if you can achieve it most of the time, let's just say, yeah. it just seems like the most abundant thing in the world as opposed to just more and more of one type of thing, more work or or what have you, or more more ambition, more achievement. Um but I, you know, finding balance, as you say, I think is is such um, an abundant feeling when you can when you can make it happen, and um, and just um, and yes, just thinking about what you said about uh, forest bathing in particular, I can totally <laughs> picture that being an abundant feeling. Yeah, um, especially in our area, which is quite um, suburban and urban, depending on yeah. where you are. So I can absolutely see that as as a balm for your soul. Yes, it absolutely is. A balm is a good way of putting it. Um, and perspective, that's an interesting one and definitely unique uh, to this podcast. Um, I hadn't thought of it as a position of abundance to have perspective in mind. But now that you mention it, it does seem to be a way of kind of allowing you to expand past, like, as you say, the difficult things you're going through in this moment um, yeah. in an abundant way, right? Yeah. And I think, per, like, in trying to figure out the word for it, I think perspective is important because um, I know in some of the recent episodes I've listened to in conversations that Brene Brown has had around um, how you help people through difficult emotional things, right? Like, it's really discouraging this notion of saying, like, at least to folks or the idea. So I think what I, it, I definitely don't mean that sense of, well, at least I'm, I'm not going through the thing that this other person is, or at least I still have this. But it's really, I think, keeping that perspective. For me, that's a way of situating um, some of the things that you can be grateful for in the moment and under, but like giving yourself the space to also understand that and give yourself empathy, right? To, to that the thing you're in in the moment can still suck, right? Like it can still be a thing that you're feeling very deeply and maybe is taking away from some of your feeling of abundance in this moment. But I do think it's that being able to keep perspective on the context of your situation or how long it's going to be a difficult thing um, can help with trying to still find some of that abundance, even in even in times that can be difficult. And I think in the last couple of years, um, 
so many, I, I don't know if there's a person right on the, in the globe who hasn't experienced difficulty um, or something that was really filled with anxiety or hard or, or anything like that. And so try, it's not about saying like, well, I, I had a, I had it better than this other person. Right. But just sort of having your own perspective on, um, on the situation and how, how it, um, doesn't, or how it doesn't have to take away from like long-term abundance. Right. But you can still, you can still wallow in something for a minute and that's okay too. I like that. I think, I think we can all, all myself and our listeners, um, can sympathize with that, especially <laughs> in the pandemic. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so I know you're aware of this, um, but of course, uh, women or people who identify as women tend to face um, harder, harsher barriers to living the lives they want, certainly what they would consider to be lives more abundant. Um, What advice would you have for them in particular um, for acquiring the abundance that you're talking about or or any kind of abundance? Yeah. Um, You know, so before any piece of advice, I think when I think about that question, um, the, one of the first thing that comes to mind are, of course, like the, the very obvious structural barriers that are in place that prevent women from living more abundant lives. So things that are rooted in, you know, sexism, misogyny, the way that we put hierarchy on human value um, in our society, and the way that those structures impact women of color, trans women, other members of, you know, LGBTQIA communities, in really distinct and challenging ways. Um, And I think these structures being removed, things like equal pay, investing in women's sports, right? Like these are all things that I think to me, it's like, before I can give any other advice, it's like an acknowledgement of those structures existing and the fact that we need to remove those structures to, for any of the other kind of pieces of like what I can do to try to live more abundantly to really um, ring true. I feel like there has to be this acknowledgement of like, and we know these structures are in place that make it really, really hard. Um, and so that that undergirds all, everything I'm going to say. So I feel it feels like it has to you know name that piece. Like advice I give is acknowledging that that is true, and that all of you know those elements are true. Um, so the first thing I have is like actually really related to that sentence, but it's um, to me a huge way of living a more abundant life is actively making space for other women um, to do the same thing. And I think one of the things that bothers me always is hearing women discuss the way that they've been like held back or sabotaged or had doors shut for them in life by other women, whether that's in relationships, whether that's in profession and professions. Um, and unfortunately, it's something that ends up frustrating me a lot because it's it's super prevalent. I've talked about it with a lot of friends and colleagues. I've seen it, examples of it. It has happened to me in a number of different professional spaces and um relational spaces and that sort of thing. And I think it's directly related to the idea of abundant living because it comes from this scarcity mindset, which I don't know if they're actual um, like antonyms, but I think scarcity and abundance are probably sitting at pretty opposite sides. And I think there's this idea for a lot of women that only so few women get particular opportunities. So if I'm here, I need to hold on to this. And um, it's an analogy that I'm not make um, I'm not making up. There's tons of amazing activists who have talked about this, but it's that idea that we hear about um, how many seats there are at the table, and we need to bring other seats to the table, and that the really the urging in, in activist community is like, well, no, we need to get rid of the table and build a bigger one, um, bigger table that that um, allows room for all folks and to make space. And so, to me, the most inspiring women I know 
are those who like actively make space. They throw away tables that no longer work and, you know, aim to build new ones and bring folks along with them, whether that's mentees, whether that's colleagues, whether that's friends, I mean, whatever space you're in. Um, And I think it's particularly true for folks like me who identify as, you know, white, straight, cisgender. We sit in that closest proximity to power and um, that gives us access to different tools to build a bigger table and to invite and make space. Um, But I think often those are the exact identities of folks who act as gatekeepers and prevent some of the kind of space making um, or chair keepers in in this sort of (laughs) metaphor. But um, so I think I think that to me is one of the biggest pieces of advice for women. And one of my um, mentors, I I just remember from a really early time in my um, career. And so this is, of course, a professional related um, tip mostly, but was so, so good and thoughtful and intentional about making space for me, never feeling threatened by, you know, success that I could have or new ideas that I had and always just um, being inviting me to things, right? Like truly giving me a seat at tables, giving me opportunities. And, um, and I think that's so important. And it just does not happen um, as much as it should in, in professional settings, um, because of this, like, scarcity mindset of, of this, the success and opportunities that will, or will not be available um, to women. But I can assure you, you will have more abundance, build a lot better relationships, um, and just be happy, happier and thriving if you're making opportunities for folks than if you're shutting doors um, for folks. So you mentioned um, some of the things your supervisor did for you um, to to make space for your success. Um, do you have any other maybe ideas for listeners who are like, yeah, I want to make space for women, but they're not exactly sure how? Yeah, I think so. If it's in if it's in like a professional, you know, kind of capacity, I think any opportunity there is to invite somebody along to a thing and then introduce them to folks, right? Like opening networks, that's got to be one of the biggest things that I think um, really, really helps with opening those doors. Another huge one is is truly giving um, acknowledgement and credit where it's due. Um, it's really easy as a supervisor to, um, to it, and not credit doesn't even seem like a, the right exact word that I want, but like acknowledging the hard work, the labor, the ideas that are coming and who they're coming from. Um, I can't tell you the difference. And I think probably most folks listening have had this moment when you're in a, maybe you're in a meeting or you're in a presentation or something. And there's somebody who maybe it's your supervisor who talks about this amazing work that was happening. And there's a really big difference in how you feel as a part of the team or, um, the joy that you may have gotten from that project. There's a really big difference when they say, and I want to thank Tanya for working on this, or when they just say, leave that part out, right? Those kinds of opportunities in those moments, I think they go so far as to open doors and opportunities for someone else, but it's so affirming for the person who um, who was in that space. And so I think that's another one. And really trying to trying to change the moving away from that scarcity mindset is hard to do, right? Because I think often there's, there's a lot of women who have seen themselves as the only one in those meetings, or um, they've been in that, that kind of a position. But the more that you can realize that we can make change, like we can have different kinds of conversations, if we truly invite other folks, like physically to an actual table, not even a metaphorical one. Um, So bringing, you know, bringing folks to meetings, um, really doing those introductions, being a support for somebody, um, trying to help them with finding new opportunities and investing and and not feeling like someone's desire to 
to rise or improve or get new experience is any threat to you and your leadership? Because probably they're learning a lot from you and want to continue learning a lot from you. Um, but I've seen it, I've seen it so often where it seems like that person is, is, you know, offended or threatened by that. Um, and so I think some of it is trying to really just reframe the way you think about, um, making space for others and sharing, sharing that platform. But I think acknowledging and affirming, um, folks for their contributions is, and meaning it, right. There's a difference between that sort of that formulaic, like, good job, Tanya. And like really saying it was these, you know, the uniqueness of someone's contributions and being able to see that in someone and help them see the uniqueness of their contributions. Um, I think that's a huge, a huge part. Um, and again, but I really think just truly inviting folks, whether it's to a networking event, whether it's um, to join for a meeting that they may not have been invited to otherwise, giving them an opportunity to share um, an update in a meeting when maybe the, maybe typically it's only asked that supervisors share, right? But you're going to invite somebody else to to be able to talk about a thing that they're an expert in. I think all of those are small small gestures that that my hunch is most folks can fit into their um, can fit into their current, you know, situations and contexts, um, and probably go a really long way for others. That's such good advice. Um, and I, I know, um, I know I, I know I, uh, try to do this myself because I, uh, I would say I didn't have the best support going through graduate school and, um, you know, women in graduate school definitely have a worse time of it overall. Um, but yes, in terms of mentoring others, you know, just, yeah, as you say, bringing them to things, giving them a chance to come to you with questions, um, advocating for them in Mm -hmm. public, but also, you know, with your superiors or supervisors, you know, those types of things just go such a long way, potentially, as you say, uh, expanding the table, which is what we all want. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, any other thoughts about abundance that you have? Yeah. One of, one of the other things I feel like I, um, has been shown to me in stronger ways, I think during COVID is also, um, the idea of really thinking about your time and how you want to spend it and the things that are bringing you joy. It doesn't mean you're not going to have the things that challenge you, but I even think about that in relationships is, um, you know, everything about time feels different now that we had like a, a, a dramatic stop and pause and busyness. And we're moving back into um, schedules that look more like they did right before March of 2020. But um, I think I know for at least me, I'm moving into that new sort of schedule with a lot of the same lessons I learned and trying to hold the lessons that I learned um, in the last two years about how to protect time, how to give, you know, the gift of time, like how to be more thoughtful about um, about what does bring abundance and joy and, and the things that maybe don't. Um, and I'm and releasing, I, I had a conversation with a friend one time where we talked about the idea that like the majority of the time when you say a sentence, like I should, that word should is a really dangerous word. And it probably means it's not a, a thing that is like bringing you joy. Like I should probably do that, or I should probably go to this thing. Um, and so trying to really look when you use that, um, at why you're saying that. Cause I feel like that word can hold so much, um, weight of how you're, how you're really feeling and tell you a lot about how you're really feeling about a thing. Um, so, so I think that's trying to keep, that would be one of the other things I would say is just trying to keep that some of the lessons we learned, right. About what does, what we do and do not need to thrive and live abundantly. Um, trying to keep those as our schedules and our days and our time and our business starts to inch and move and look more like it did, um, 
prior to the start of COVID. I think trying to trying to hold on to those lessons is is really important. It's something that I'm actively um, working on and trying to be better at. That's such a good piece of advice to um, to at least stop and reflect on you know what what the pandemic did to to you to your life to your schedule and to keep an eye on those things that you say I should do or I shouldn't do um, to, to kind of gauge, you know, what is worth kind of adding back as we yeah. are able to potentially move out into the world more. Yeah. I know I miss, um, international travel. <laughs> <for me. laughs> Vacations. I, uh, I'm hoping to bring, uh, my husband to visit a friend of mine in Germany when this is oh. all over. So fingers crossed. That but wonderful. Yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> but thank you so much, Kristen. I would love to know, and our listeners would like to know too, where can they uh, follow you slash your work? Is there any place you would like uh, me to point them to? Yeah. So I, you can absolutely share more about um, like professional work, um, both uh, the Office of Community Engagement and Civic Learning website, um, Cecil at gmu.edu, that'll be launching in the next couple of weeks. So it won't be live right now, but it should be launching really soon. Um, and then me, I'm on Twitter a good bit. Um, my handle is just Kristen E. Wright, all lowercase. Um, know if you go to that, you're going to see lots of things that I like or retweet that are connected to topics like um, politics, social justice, and the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so you'll probably see a good combination <laughs> of that. So just bear that in mind if um, if that's not if part of that's not something you're interested in. But I try to it, I try to keep it as both a you know educational professional space and some of my fun and, and hobbies and things like that too. So um, but yeah, I would it, there, and there's more ways to kind of get in touch and things like that that will be available through that website, um, which again should be launching. Our office is new, and so it should be launching in just the next couple weeks. Great. I will I will put links to to your Twitter and to that uh, website awesome. in the show notes for our listeners. Thank you again, Kristen, for spending your valuable time with me, for talking about abundance and for helping our listeners maybe gain a little insight into how they li are living abundantly or how they could be living abundantly, especially um, facilitating the abundance of others. Dad, thank you for having me. It was really actually a, a wonderful um like so again self-reflective journey to to be thinking so deeply about um abundance and ways that it it shows up in my life now and ways that I want it to continue um showing up moving forward so I really really appreciate you thinking of me this has been another episode of Vita Abundantur thank you for listening please help this podcast reach new listeners by subscribing reviewing and sharing this episode with your network I also welcome your comments and questions you can find me at EC Academic on Instagram, tanyaazar.com, or leave a message for this podcast on anchor.fm. I would love to know how you plan to live a life more abundant. Until next time. <laughs>